Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Not in Santa Cruz, at the one show in Portland, Oregon. And we're here on a Friday night for the opening. This place is amazing. I'm just going to do a little walkthrough. You can hear some of the sounds. All right. Hey, so this is Naked Jim here at the One Motorcycle Show. And I'm here with Uncle Liza. And I'm fortunate enough to have, yes, the Chris one and only Wiggins from the Creative Writing Podcast, among some other things he does. But uh, yes, yeah. so welcome, Chris. Things. Good to catch up with you here, man. You too, man. It's good to actually meet you guys. Like, I was telling Liza earlier, like, Larry's like, did you listen to our show? And I'm like, I don't listen until Monday morning. And then your guys' show comes out Sunday night. So I usually don't listen to our show until after that, too. Yeah, we get that a lot, you so. know. <laughs> we get that a lot. But no, we're here at the uh, the one show in Portland having a great time. It's, yeah. uh, you know, we're kind of early on Saturday, which is about noon. And, uh, you know, last night we uh, we all kind of got here late afternoon-ish, early evening. And th the show's just overwhelming. I mean, Chris, you've been here before, but when you walk in the door, I mean, it's just mind-blowing, right? There's so much. One thing I really like about this show is, like, I grew up on motorcycles, and so many motorcycle shows are pure Harley. And like, I'm a Harley dude, like I own four of them, but it's just everything motorcycle from two strokes, old bikes, new bikes. Um, there's Alta set up over there. Oh, there's even scooters. There are, I always forget about those. Sorry, bagel. Um, Harley's, you know, race bikes. It's, it's everything and anything you can think of. And I really like that about it. You know, you can see the difference in just styles and what's out there and, and the, the atmosphere, I think, is better, too, because you get a wider range of people and people that, again, are just motorcyclists and they're not so narrow-minded. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think the crowd here is just about as diverse as all the bikes you see. Yeah. And you touched on it a second ago, Chris. You know, you've been around bikes your whole life, so I know, you know, creative riding is really, you know, the, the ultimate in your in your long-term <laughs> goals. But tell us a little bit about your background, you know, your, your family history with motorcycling, and then what brings you here this weekend? All right, so I, uh, I had a bike when I was a little kid. Like, when I was little, my dad always rode. My grandpa's got a bunch of old bikes in the barn. Um, so I've always been around them. I, my parents got divorced. So I never really rode like through my teens or anything. And then I got a street bike after I graduated high school. I was like 19 and I got a CBR 900. I lived through the CBR 900. Which somehow. every 19 year old should have. Yeah, it's a pretty good present. It's a sink or swim bike for sure. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, just kind of like, you know, rode around Indiana, um, just kind of normal like kid stuff, but never like super super deep i think and then mm -hmm. i when i moved to california I started working in the motorcycle industry and then it just kind of consumed everything that i do <laughs> yeah yeah well it's, so. it's interesting i mean there's, there's a lot to talk about there because chris has his hands in a lot of pots but i mean you're everything from a, from building to racing to wrenching to idea guy i mean yeah you know, you're a creative dude so talk a little bit about that um I do, the building I do is mostly more like just working on race, like the race bike stuff. But with the hooligan scene, I think what's cool about it is so many of the bikes are built by the guys that are riding them. Right. Um, so they have like this invested interest in what they're out there on. And, you know, we make a lot of comments with the hooligan racing and I, I to, it sounds stupid, but I believe it to a point. Like we're all pro wrestlers. Like we all have analogy. this persona, right? So it's like, I am, I have this like AMF copied vintage paint job on my Harley tank. And a lot of people think it's real, even though it doesn't say Harley. 
Um, but it's just like this, this red, white, and blue stripes right, of an old yeah. AMF tank. Uh -huh. But people know that. People see that. Um, you know, we got one of the guys has a purple, like, uh, purple rain Prince paint job. And that's like when awesome. I say his name, everyone's like, who? And I'm like, purple rain bike. And they're like, oh. <laughs> so it's like, you know, almost building this persona and this personality around the riders and around the teams is really, I think, one thing that's kind of brought it to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Like, people can really get behind someone and rally behind them. Where I think a lot of pro racing has lost that. Sure. Um, and maybe I'm biased this year, but I, I think guys like Carver have kind of developed that on, on the pro level of flat track, and they're getting a lot of fan support because of it, right. but not everyone has that. Yeah. So it, it's really cool, um, and I think it's definitely kind of helped what we do. Uh, see, I just kind of... You know, maybe maybe take a step back, Chris. Some of yeah. our listeners may be familiar with the term super hooligan, and okay. I'll just say the super hooligan event is by far my favorite racing that I can see. It's yeah. what I look forward to most coming up here to Portland, not only the racing, but to see the bikes. Yeah. Because you get to see a lot of the bikes that are racing here on the floor, yeah. which is rad, but, but maybe give a little primer for people that aren't familiar okay. with, with the hooligan. So the, the hooligan stuff started as... Uh, like a Harley night. We were doing these local events where you would like ride your Harley down. It's down south? Uh, yeah, Southern California at a speedway race. And they were like, hey, come in for free. We're going to set everyone up on the line. You're going to race for four laps. You're going to crash. You're going to do burnouts. The fans are going to go wild. They get from 1,000 people in the stands a night to 4,000 people in the stands a night. Just packed house, standing room only. And uh, it evolved into like, I was taking my Dyna and I got a sports because it was cheaper. And then it turned out to be faster. So what, what would the class be for this? What, what, what kind of bikes are people okay. typically running? So what it's evolved into is you're supposed to run flat track tires, at least to be competitive. Um, 750cc's or larger. The super, the technical super hooligan series that's a little more well organized, but also not good for the same reason. It's supposed to be a twin. I put on some races and I don't care. If a guy wants to come out on a CB750 or a KZ1000 and mm -hmm. try to ride a big honking four cylinder, go for it. Right. Um, one That's of the, the whole point, right? Yeah, it is. You know, it's just, it's riding what you have and doing something that people don't think and would really typically, work. these uh, are typically not sponsored. It's guys have day jobs kind of a thing? Well, or yeah, goes... and it's kind of both. Um, one of the other things that kind of helped us out starting is in Southern California, especially, but you know, all over the country, there's this like underground, industry for Harley Davidson aftermarket parts. And what we found like with looking for sponsors, no one has money, no one can write a check. Like that's hard to do, but they can give you product. Mm. So some of like my personal sponsor is a speed merchant. They make triple trees, they make sprocket covers, they make all kinds of like little stuff, fork preload adjusters. Um, there's Biltwell that makes bars and helmets. And I don't know, they so they sponsor some guys. Um, one of my other main gear sponsors is Icon Moto up here in Portland. And mm -hmm. they've kind of like, they've got into the scene because of what we're doing and sponsor us with gear, which is great. Um, Lowbrow Customs out of Ohio. Like I, I've got some free parts from them because they mm -hmm. want to see it out there. They want to see people using yeah. it, you know, and it, it's great marketing for them. But again, it's so much easier to send product than it is to write a real check. Right. Um, but so it, it's kind of that mix of like, yeah, there's sponsors out there, right? but no one's making money. All of us, I don't want to say all of us, most of us still work nine to five. Like um, some guys, I know you've talked about Rusty Butcher on the show. Mark mm -hmm. is a marketing genius and a hell of a guy and a hell of a writer. And it's kind of part of his job, but that's because he's smart enough to work it into that. Right. I'm not. So I work a normal day job. I'm a CNC programmer. And then uh, at night or on the weekends, I go race. So. But that's kind of what makes it great. Like it's the little dirt tracks of small town USA. Right. You know, everyone in the stands just chugging beer and yelling and watching yeah. races. And 
and we're just out banging bars and having a good time and honestly like you watch so much racing and there's so much emotion which we have but when the checkers drop like everyone's smiling yeah and it, it, it you know you see it in the pits and you see it on the start line and you know when the track's green it's a little different but as soon as it goes checkered it's it's a it's a good time yeah, so um, so you're going to be racing this afternoon in the, yeah. is it, will it be a super hooligan or hooligan, uh, what are they calling it? So it's technically a super hooligan event. It kind of piggybacks on the one show event, gotcha, uh, the way okay. that he does his little series. Right. So um, for personal reasons, I won't indulge too much into the mm -hmm. super hooligan series. Just trying to set the stage here. But I, <laughs> yeah, but, I, 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 but that's what it is. So, um, well, I am curious. So, so what, what bike are you going to be racing? In? Okay. And what, what mods, you know, what did it start as? You know, yeah. What, kind of, I'm sure there's some stories behind it. Oh, so. for sure. Because so, you're, you're, you're all stories, man, I tell you. <laughs> so this one, um, I'm running uh, what I named her Trusty Rusty. And uh, because, so I picked this bike up a few years ago from a, a friend of mine who owns a junkyard and towed it old mid 90s 1200 sportster uh i bought it i was gonna it had like bags on it and ugly bars on it and an ugly seat i was gonna put like two or three hundred bucks in it and flip it in southern california and make a couple grand like right, i bought okay. it out of state you know right. so i'm like dude it's, so many bikes have so much potential and it's like you remove stuff and now it's worth twice as much of course i get it out here and then we start riding it more and more and more and then i crash it on the track so i cut the fender and then it just evolved into what it's evolved into but it's a 94 Sportster. The motor is actually pretty stock. I have some mild head work. And the reason is we race like little eighth mile cushion dirt tracks, which mm -hmm. is like kind of a loose uh, decomposed granite dirt. Most of the tracks are. We race some other tracks, but for the, the most of the time, horsepower is not an issue. Right, like, yeah. Because you're only up out, straight for like a yeah. second or two maybe, and then you're And you still down. don't really have traction. Like it's all about throttle finesse. You know, that's what all the old road racers will tell you too. Kenny Roberts, oh, yeah. you know, guys like Nikki Hayden when they were around, that's why those guys came from flat track. So and why they were so good on the two strokes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, they you can go out on an 883 and you can be competitive. Guys are like, oh, I want a 1200, I want a 1200. I'm like, you really don't need one, especially starting out. R yeah. If you get to the point where you're like, oh, I want more power, or if you're doing some bigger tracks, yeah, right. it's nice. but. Really, for most of the stuff we do, it's fine. Mine's, uh, uh, mine's got 19-inch wheels, front and rear. Um, mine looks fancy. It actually has mags on it from um, this Ride Shop Racing and Lindell Brakes duo. Um, but the reason I actually got those given to me was I designed them a few right? years ago. They were selling them. And uh, I get a, a text on my phone with a picture, and my buddy, Lindell Brakes, he's like, hey, come pick these wheels up. And I go, who are they for? And at this time, we were doing some Born Free builds. And a couple of buddies of mine had gotten one-off wheels for Born Free. And I'm like, okay, who are they for? And he's like, well, they're for you, dummy. And I was like, oh, okay, like, cool. Aw, yeah. Aw. So then, yeah, right? <laughs> so it's funny because it, like, it looks all fancy, but I'm like, dude, right. I had cheap spokes, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I do have like 15-inch gears racing shocks. Like as we've progressed and like right. kind of worked with more companies, I've gotten a little bit better stuff. I run R6 front forks. Because mm -hmm. um, nope. it seems like a lot of it is, is just traction, right? How do you keep it that is. rear wheel on the ground? It is. And and honestly, to have a competitive bike, you can go pick up a Sportster, put a 19-inch rear wheel on the back, and put some, like, 15-inch burly shocks, and you'll be pretty darn competitive. Right, and I think a lot of times, like, like racing and speed, a lot of it's between the ears. Yeah. You know, who's got the balls yeah. to, to lay off, you know? And a lot of it's seat time. Um, yeah. You know, I tell a lot of the, it's funny, a lot of the guys that come out, we've had a lot of new guys come out in the last, really nonstop for the last couple of years, but even the last six months, and these guys come out, and I'm watching, and I'm like, Dude, it took me a year and a half to get that fast. 
and it's your first night out on the bike and you're looking at me like you want to race with me and you wish you could ride like me i'm like i wish i rode like you when i started how much faster would i be now you know right so it's it's definitely interesting to see that um and it's still cool too like it's super for me it's like as a you know personally it's fun to like still be a guy to watch for yeah that's cool yeah. and i'm like i'm about to turn 35 i'm chubby would be an understatement i'm definitely out of shape <laughs> i like pulled my calf last night unloading a bike out of a trailer not even a truck and i'm just like i'm gonna go today and we stayed up till 2 30 in the morning because if you're gonna go race hooligans you got to be a hooligan the whole weekend yeah and you were definitely representing your hooligan last time <laughs> so, uh, we, were, we were at the show yeah, starting to shut down and it was all about yeah. going to well uh, yeah. let's see where, where everyone ended up yeah. but there was a few after parties it was a good time the fun well you did have to pick up somebody's stripper tab so yeah yeah up some payback there he doesn't even remember that's the worst part <laughs> I know, so, right? You can make shit up now. But it was uh it's a good time. So today yeah. we're gonna we'll go out to the track. Um Salem is a little it's a little bit larger than an eighth mile, but it's clay, it's fast, yeah. it's fun. Right. It's one of my favorite tracks I've ever ridden. Um and it'll be a good time. I I can't even imagine how many bikes are signed up for tonight. So. Right. It's gonna be a doozy. Yeah, I know RSD brought five Indians at least. Um I don't know who they're putting on all of them. Mm -hmm. Uh our team brought four people with us. We had six bikes in the trailer, they're all getting raced. I mean, it's going to be 30, speed, 40, speed 50 bikes. The team you're talking about? My team this? is Speed Merchant. Okay, because so you also work with Harley. and Yeah, so we, um, Speed Merchant sent three guys, and then uh, we are, we're what's called a Harley Hooligan team, and it's us, Speed Merchant, um, and then Rusty Butcher, Suicide Machine Company, Noise Cycles, and Unknown Industries, Okay. which are the guys that were doing wheelies on dynas and stuff uh, like cool, that. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, they started racing a little. Um, so how that works is... Harley basically gave each team the same amount of money. You know, we get like publicity and help and they're like super nice. And then um, it covers like, our, basically just covers our travel expenses. Sure, yeah. And they give us a bike, they give us a, a we got a brand new street route this year. Oh, cool. Um, but we had to build it all on our own, which is also, it's kind of cool um, that all the bikes turned out different. Like uh, I know Noise Cycles, um, I really like how his turned out. Okay. And I, I'm, it's, I don't know, Brawny's, uh, the Speed Merchant one, I, everything he does I like for sure. Uh -huh. And Scott's, I'm like looking at it and I'm like, dude, that looks good. Uh -huh. um, so I'm excited to see what everyone did, how the bikes are a little different. Um, and Harley really wants to push their XG and I, I get it, it's, it's the new evolution. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, with the pros running the XGRs, it's, it's right. good, they want to see us out there. And they're, they're pretty capable bikes. I mean, the displacement's not there compared to a Sportster, but it's a four-valve dual overhead or single overhead, but overhead right. cam, four-valve motor. They yeah. they turn. They make good power. Yeah. Um, and you're talking this racing isn't about horsepower, right? It's really not. Not yeah. for most tracks. So yeah. we'll see how. Uh, I haven't ridden an XG on this track, and uh, my buddy Fast J is riding our XG today. So which was kind of um, I have the the one we built last year, and I can ride it whenever I want. And I'm like, man, it's just so hard. I'm so I've got so much seat time on Rusty that I'm like, I just want to I want to ride her. I like this yeah, track yeah, on yeah. her. I know what to expect. Right. You know, I know what she's capable of. So it's a good one to. Yeah, you don't need a surprise when you're hauling into turn three, <sighs> yeah. right? Yeah. And it's, you know, with a racing mentality, um, no matter what, like when you go to a race, you want to do the best that you, you can do. Like, oh yeah, your ultimate goal is to win. You know, even if you know you're going to fight for tenth, like you want to win. Like that's in your head. So. Oh, yeah. It's, it's hard to not ride the bike I want to ride. And so. we're all 19 up here, right? Yeah. So, hey, any other, when you go to the track, any other classes you like to watch? Do you like to watch the kids or the vintage or um, the pros? Or? You know what is always entertaining are the kids. The yeah. little kids on little 50s. Just amp the fuck up, right? Yeah. Some of them are like, 
some of them are so young, it's like they don't even realize what they're doing. Uh-huh. And then you see these kids like battling and going back and forth. And I've never seen the fans go so wild. Right. Then have like two five-year-olds on 50s just like passing oh, one yeah. another back and forth. And no one's rooting for one person over the yeah. other. They're just rooting for these kids to have this battle. The excitement, yeah. And it's so good. And when you see like when the checkered's done and the kid's face sees like the stands going nuts for him yeah. it is unreal they're just hooked yeah. right so that that's probably my favorite um and those kids crash as hard as anybody else i've seen it they, they eat shit too they man <laughs> um the vintage bikes are always fun it's cool to see the yeah. stuff out there um i think it's a good affordable class too so it's a good like you, the eclectic mix of people mm-hmm. you got guys that have been doing it for 40 years on the same bike right um, well you know you're in trouble when you see some like gray-haired dude skinny yeah. fucking pulling up with an old yamaha jersey you're like, mm. you know those guys are smooth and fast yeah. southern california we got some speedway riders that are one's a former pairs world champion with bruce pinhall mm. and he still races and he's still competitive and it's like he can barely walk through the pits and he hops on the bike and you never know if he's going to win that and night. he's 19 again yeah right? So it's super fun. Cool. Right on, Chris. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. I know you have no a lot problem. going on this weekend. Yeah. You got so much going on. Every time I'm with you, I, people are coming up <laughs> to you, shaking your hands, giving you high fives. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, it's super busy, but it's it's a good time. And this is what it's about, you know, yeah. seeing the people and the shows and, and the racing and seeing how it's evolved is is amazing yeah so yeah and then hopefully it, it sparks the you know sparks the sport it seems like this flat track shit's catching fire again yeah. and it's cool it's hip people yeah. are buying swag in here like crazy it's cool because flat tracks debatably the oldest form of motorcycle racing yeah. oh yeah it's it's such an american tradition i was gonna say i love that about it yeah um it, so it's so cool to see it coming back for the pro's sake for the fans sake for the racetrack's sake you yeah. know it's it's such a cool thing to go out to a dirt track and kind of just relive it and be part of it and and see what everyone does i don't know it's i grew up around it so for me it's kind of natural but it's just good to see it for people that didn't grow up around racing just so like wow this exists how did i not know that it existed yeah Yeah. so it's pretty great and you touched on too i think it's accessible to people like hey i could be out there you know i i could actually do that one of the cool things to me about flat track is a little kid on a pw50 can come out and get a good start you know you got guys like eddie lawson uh Whose interview you guys did last week? I'm gonna forget just because I just Rainey. listened to yeah. it. Wayne Rainey, you know, talking Wall, about growing Wall, up with flat track. Yeah. Well, Kenny Roberts, Nikki Hayden. All of them, yeah. You know, they all grew up around flat track and it evolved into so much more for Ask some God. of them. But at the same time, you got these guys that are, they can't motocross anymore because their knees are blown. Yeah. Or they've been able to race flat track for 30 or 40 years. And like you said, they come out with like gray hair, kind of old. They can still hop on a flat track bike and be competitive and have a good time and throw down and race. So it's like such a wide age group and I feel like not all forms of racing, especially motorcycles, are are accessible for that. And then the cost is pretty cheap too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, comparatively, like if you're trying to do a Moto America team or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, even if you, I go to the track a little bit on a sport bike and on my my Harley Dyna and you, which is a whole other issue for later. (laughs) (laughs) Another one. Yeah, right? So, um, but you know, a set of tires will last half a season or a season. You pick up old TT 500s for a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, and they're great flat track bikes. Um, the hooligan bikes are pretty cheap and accessible, and even the 450s, if that's the route you want to go, it's pretty affordable. Yeah. You can pick up a setup 450 for three grand wow. and go racing. And you know, there's yes, you can spend a lot more on all of it, whether it's hooligan 450, your TT 500, 
oh, Framer Rotax, whatever it is, you can definitely spend more, but a lot of times it comes down to the rider and seat time. Yeah. Go buy another set of tires and go do more laps and you will get way more out of it than rebuilding and adding 10 horse to your motor. Right. So it's, well, there you go. Yeah. Words of wisdom from the, the man himself, <laughs> our, our team professional rider. Yeah. We, you didn't know it, but we stuck a Motorcycles and Misfits sticker on your bike cool when you weren't looking. So I'm good with that. We're now yeah. sponsoring. We're emotional support. That's right, what we're right? going to provide. That's a lot of my support, actually. So <laughs> and I, beer, I, I get it, right? Yeah. Got one more question for you, Chris. Yeah. What's your up the butt bike? Oh man, you know what? I was super prepared for this and then I think I kind of forgot. And I realize it's kind of a vague question as who is putting what up your butt? If it's Naked Jim, <laughs> it might be like a Briton. You need a condom. Yeah. But if it's, I don't know, I'm not gonna go into that. <laughs> I don't know if everyone wants to, but yeah, for some reason I like, I'm into sport bikes right now, so I'd have to go with either a Briton or an XR750. Britain, the most butt-worthy bike. It really is. It really, like, I got to see one a couple years ago at uh, Barber Motorsports Museum, and I just, like, I just walked around it, like, 10 times. Insane. And then when you, like, you're looking at it, and this would have been 2012, like, you're looking at it and you're walking around it, and then you go, shit, that bike was 1990. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, 2001, 2002, that looks kind of, oh, shit, that was 1990. Like, just nuts, dude. Nuts. All right, Chris Hale, thanks for taking the time again. No Good problem. luck tonight. We're going to be yeah. rooting like hell for you. Awesome. I appreciate it. All right, it. give him hell, man. Cool. Thank cool. you. I'm Bex from Motorcycles and Misfits, and you are? Uh, I'm Nikki Fury. I'm from Ventura, California. Right on. Have you ever heard of our, our podcast? Uh, yeah, actually, I listen to you guys all the time. You had one of my heroines in life on your show, uh, Elspeth Beard. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was right rad. On. I listen to all your guys' stuff. I really love it. Thank you. Cool. So, um, right now, if, if you wouldn't mind, would you describe the VIP room here um, at the so One Moto Show? With, like, we're, uh, we're sitting in the Sailor Jerry-sponsored VIP room. Um, it has leather couches, Sailor Jerry flash art all over the walls, uh, surfboards, and it's completely stocked with Sailor Jerry and all their memorabilia. And actually, uh, myself and another gal, a local artist, did all the painting in here. So, and we happen to all be women. Yeah, and so everybody's sitting with us and everybody involved in this room, um, we're all women and motorcycle enthusiasts. I love it. <laughs> right on. Okay, so I'm curious, how did you get into motorcycling? Um, I got into bikes. My dad used to build choppers uh, when he lived on Oahu back in the 70s. So kind of grew up with a love of old motorcycles and then started riding uh, about two years ago. And uh, my boyfriend's been a volunteer at the one show for about five years, so this is my third one show. Yeah, we come every year, um, and we help build and host and tear down, and uh, it's a really good time. And then, so what are, what are your current projects right now? Uh, right now, it's just keeping the show running smoothly. Um, so, kind of just running detail. Uh, we have all of these white official jackets. Anybody running around in a white official jacket, you can ask questions to. You can get whatever information you need. Um, and yeah, we're kind of just on point to make sure everybody's got what they need, the builders are happy, the vendors are happy, and uh, everybody's having a really good time. I agree, that's what I see. Yeah? And then, okay, Nikki, Fury, what do you ride? Uh, right now I have the Sim Wolf 150 Classic. 
So I have like a, a sweet little, um, you know, 150 bike for ripping around town. And then my last one was a 78 Yamaha XS650 Special. And uh, I kind of have my eyes on the Yamaha room. They have all those new scramblers. And they have the SR400 out in that room over there. And a fleet of custom new Yamaha bikes. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah. Dual. Yeah. They're, they're fantastic. And I'm doing that thing where I'm putting myself next to a bike and kind of imagining swinging over it. And I'm like, oh, I could, I could ride this. I could totally ride this. Isn't it hard here? I, 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 this is my first experience. All I want to do is swing my leg over shit. <laughs> and I'm like, no, okay. Yeah. Well, I hope you swing your leg over a mini bike. So we got the mini bike racing. Fuck yeah. yeah. Tomorrow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually already wrecked myself. And uh, Emily George, uh, one of the CC gals, me after we built the track. Of course, you got to test it. So me and another gal got on those mini bikes and started racing around that track, and we just plowed into some of those. Got a nice little courtyard here with a bunch of sausage vendors and beer. Perfect. Coming into the entrance, we have an amazing Harley Davidson. Ah, this is a this is a snowmobile Harley Davidson conversion. I've not seen anything like it. Right off the bat, walking in the door, this place is bananas. Well, let's head on in. Hey there, this is Naked Jim, day three here at the One Moto Show, and we still haven't been able to <laughs> see all the bikes yet. I keep trying, but it's crazy. And the amazing thing is I think we walked past this bike, I don't know, ten times in the last three days, and you're like, oh, we got a cool chopper, blah, 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 and just kind of moseyed on by. Little did we realize today there's something rather exceptional about it, and I'm here with uh, Ricky Tahas, who's joining us all the way from Germany. And anyway, enough about that, but let's get into the bike. So what's different about that bike than most of the bikes in that room? Um, so to most of the bikes, the difference is that it's electric. And the difference to at least most of the electric bike is it does not look like crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well said. And you got to see this thing. It's all silver, shiny, and chromey looking. Um, it looks like a classic -y kind of a, a nouveau classic chopper build. Uh, big V-twin, all this kind of stuff. Um, but then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, is everything connected? I don't know. So how would you describe the bike to people that haven't seen it? So it's a fully aluminum bike. Uh, there's almost no steel on it and no nothing. So it's casted all the way down. The look is something between an old knucklehead straight leg frame and an even older race bike image from Harley we had from the 30s. Um, and we combine that with a completely hidden electronic drive in the hub of the motor. So it looks like there is a big drum brake in the motor, which actually is a combination of a little drum brake and a huge electric motor in the back. Which is really pretty cool. So, so technically, how big is the motor? Technically. Like the specs on the motor? Uh, 
uh, we rate the motor, it's a 48 volts motor, it's a brushless hub motor, uh, but we drive it on more like 55 uh, volts and it has a 50 amper in there. Cool, right on. Well, that's, that was the first thing when Liza called me over and looked at it. She goes, what's different about this bike? And I said, first of all, there's a little card on the seat that says it's electric. <laughs> Which you probably had to do, right? Yeah, because so we, we, we didn't have that on the first day. And what happened is that a lot of people, uh, we recognized that a lot of people were talking about and said, oh, so it's just a display bag, it's unfinished. There's no chain, it's missing. So there's no drive from the motor to the, to the gearbox, no drive from the gearbox to the rear wheel. And we even had some people on Instagram posting underneath, oh yeah, just finish it and then it's good. So, uh, and we just a minute ago, we met that dude because we answered it, yeah, it is finished, it does ride. Come over to the one and see it spinning the wheel. So I'm he came and he said, I want to see it. I want to have the proof. Uh, and this is, this is um, the main reason why we put that sign on there. Right. Just a little shitty, it is electric, yes. Uh, <laughs> so that the people see, okay, no, it's, there is something different, you notice in the moment you see it, it's something different than a normal bike I know, but most people don't really realize, okay, what is different? And then they start, oh, okay, there is no chain, there is no linkage between the components, and not everybody transfers to, okay, then it has to be something different. Some people are just in, okay, then it's not finished. So that is why we put it on there, and why we spin the wheel every once in a while, uh, and trying to, yeah. to uh, bluff the people. It was yeah. really cool. I was there when someone came by and was saying the same thing. Like, yeah. everybody's hating on you because you, you bring this bike that you just barely finished doesn't yeah. run. Yeah. And you're like, oh, let me show you how it doesn't yeah. run. Now, did yeah. you ride it here? Or did you ride it? Uh, we, we drove it up the ramp, right? but we didn't uh, drive with that from Germany to the show. <laughs> no, there's okay. no ocean in between. Was, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny, kind of the first thing that I noticed when you start looking at it, you're like, wait a minute, the dr there's a wire coming out of the drum brake, yes. but it's tucked in there really clean, and it's really hard to notice. And the wire goes up into... Into the thing that looks like a gearbox, uh, because in there are all, all the controllers of the motor and the battery. Um, so also the wiring from the throttle comes through the frame into this box. Um, so there, there are all the controllers in there, and on the left side you got that knob that looks like a jockey shifter and in behind there's a little switch just for on and off so if you push it to the front it's on and then you gotta on the back it's just off yeah. cool. so um, so uh, where was the inspiration to do this like uh, is this something you've been thinking about or like how, who decides to do this <laughs> I Besides did Ricky. yeah uh, but I'm I'm a I'm obsessed with a lot of things and if I'm into something and if it's in my mind I need to make it so I can get rid of that thought. Uh, so I have this idea about a hidden e-bike now for 10 years. And we were invited to do the European Biker Build-Off, which is kind of what you have with the Discovery Build-Off had here, uh, but a little different. You have to assemble the bike on stage on a show. And they asked us to do this, and we deeply wanted to build our own petrol engine for that. We just started that before they asked us. But we realized after two weeks or something after they asked us, we won't make it. It's the, the time is too short to finish the petrol engine. But we wanted to have it in there. So 
uh, we thought, okay, that's the perfect moment to combine the idea of that hidden e-bike with the mock-up of our petrol engine, mm -hmm. put that together in an aluminum frame, and got, get what you see here. Right. That's awesome, man. You didn't happen to bring that bike on an airplane, did you? Like we, in luggage? Yeah, we Was did. that you? We, we, took, we took it apart in, in, <laughs> uh, in four boxes. This is the good thing about that we had to assemble it on stage. It was already built to be easy right. assemble, disassemble, five tools. Um, so we put it in four boxes and checked it in as luggage on the plane. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. So how much does the bike weigh total? Uh, it's 80 kilograms, and I believe that's 170 pounds. Wow! So it's uh, four boxes is uh, it's filled up. Yeah. There's nothing left anymore on the weight on the boxes on the yeah, plate. that's still pretty amazing though. You can yeah. unbolt it with a few tools, yeah. fly it across the world, put it back together, and ride it. You know. And the good thing about the weight is you can just lift it. You can lift the front with one hand. What, um, what kind of batteries are you using? It's a lithium iron battery, um, but the one we have in there is a very, very small one. As it's the same theme, uh, lithium iron is dangerous goods on the plane, so you pay a lot per weight. So we took the smallest battery available with us. Um, yeah. And I'm curious about the casting process. Now, do you come from electronic engineering or metal casting background? Uh, both of those I, 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 come, I come from everything. Okay. It's, uh, in Germany, you have uh, to be allowed to call yourself a mechanic. You have to be apprentice for three and a half years. And for being allowed to run your own motorcycle shop, you have to do a master title for another one and a half years. So I'm a master mechanic in Germany um, to be allowed to run that business. But we do pretty much everything as the whole company, one of the choppers, was founded 14 years ago. Uh, with the goal to build a complete motorcycle, including motor, gearbox, frame, even the tires, everything. So every day we learn new stuff. And we, so this is why we do electronics and we do old casting stuff and we do tubing and everything. That's pretty cool. So describe the forks. That was the other kind of hidden thing I didn't see at first. It looks like the forks were all one solid piece of metal yeah. but you kind of hit yeah. the, the forks are you can disassemble them too so there are three screws on the top of them and if you take these off you can take the top triple tree with a handlebar off and you have the you have the rest of the fork as the second piece nice so are you building this just to, for your own stable or are you taking customers no 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 it's um See, I'm self-employed, so I do everything somebody pays me for, but um, that's not the plan. The plan is not to make a production work from that. Um, this is, like I said, I'm obsessed. I needed to do it. I needed to make it, so I did it, but it's not my plan to keep on building e-bikes for the rest of my life. No. Well, you know, the other thing that struck me is it seems like like it, it may be something that like yours has a lot of detail work and a lot of time and effort put into the detail which I could yeah. see but it's almost like you could almost translate that maybe in a way you know someone could build their own electric bike or a little scooter type thing simply and yeah. maybe cost-effectively see, I this, don't know. this technology is not new it's it, the media is pushing that that this is new but the truth is that you can buy electric scooters for a very low amount of money and if you buy a crash one and just take the, the motor and the controller and maybe the batteries, 
Um, and then you build your motorcycle just the same way you built your pedal motorcycle in before, you are able to build your own motorcycle. I'm not a person who would recommend anybody to build a motorcycle because you need to have a lot of abilities to be able to do that. You need to have a lot of tools, you need to have a lot of time. But if you're able to build a petrol bike, you are able to build an e-bike. Right. And, and how long did it take you to assemble this bike? It was about 1,400 hours, and we did that over a time of a half a year. Right. Uh, with uh, a buddy of mine, Julius, and me, we built that. He is actually the apprentice at our shop. Thanks so much for joining us with it, joining us today. Um, we're going to let you go because there's a swarm of people that want to talk to you over there. But it's amazing how you're taking something you know that's current technology now, bringing the past into it, and, and this blending of, of art and science and old and new. And it's a hit, so congratulations, and we're, we're glad you made the trip. Thanks for having us, and I'm pretty humbled by how amazing, nice, and friendly all the people are here in Poland. That blows me away. It's way different than in Germany. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you very much. Hey there, I'm Bex from Motorcycles and Misfits, Recycle Garage in Santa Cruz, and you are? I'm Alex from Vancouver, Canada. Hey Alex, How what brings you? you here to Portland for the one moto show? I uh, came here last year, had the best time, a bunch of my friends worked the event, uh, and I've been riding for about five or six years, so it's my favorite event to come down to, some great builds, awesome people. Okay, so you've been riding for five or six years. What do you ride? I, right now I have a Triumph Bonneville, and I just finished the build on a 1200 Hardtail Sportster. So, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Sick. So excited. <laughs> right on. Do you have it here? Don't. Next time, right? Next time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is exciting. Next time. <laughs> and then... A good question for a woman. What would you, since you've been here before, what would you recommend as a woman who rides to do, experience, and not miss at the one moto? Oh wow! As, um, the people here are awesome. The builds are great. Um, one of the most fun things that I have experienced here is getting on the, uh, the mini bikes, little, little mini bike track, which is so much fun. Um, did you just do that? I did that last year, so I, I, we just got here, so I'm ready to go on it again, but uh, there's some just amazing people, amazing builds here. Um, it's really just a great environment, especially as a female rider, there's tons of women here, so you get to meet a lot of women that ride as well. It's very supportive. As you can see, the whole room is filled with women that ride right now, so. Uh, yeah, VIP, <laughs> all women right now. Just as a heads up, right? Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. All right, we're in a large building. It used to be a pickle factory. We've got a stage set up for bands playing, and there are bikes, art, vendors, beer, Everything you can imagine all around here. This is quite the crowd that's come out, young and old, and the bikes here. We've got customs of all types. I'm standing in front of, looks like a street rod, a modified street rod. Um, this is a pretty cool bike. Oh, it's a Jesse Rook bike, no wonder. 
Hey there, so Naked Jim back at the One Motorcycle Show here in Portland, and I am here with uh, Jeff Durant, and the cool thing about Jeff is he represents part of this show that I think is growing and is a great thing to highlight, which are the artists that come here to Portland to show their wares at the show. So Jeff, thanks for taking the time to, to, to spend with us and chat a little bit. So let me just get your first impressions. This is the first time being here. It's my first time at the One Moto Show. When you walked in, like, so you were here before everybody else. Yeah, here, um, yes, uh, like it's Friday, Thursday. Okay, so Thursday. Describe, describe the building when you first walked in. Well, it didn't have all these lights. It was dark and, you know, we were putting up the art. Now, there was hardly any art or anything on the walls. I was one of the, the first here and there was very few motorcycles in here, nobody in here. So it looks a lot different now. Uh, I brought my wife here last night and she hadn't seen it before and I told her it didn't look like this a couple of days ago. So Right, and you're quite the renaissance man. There's a lot I think in your background to talk about but for the moment we'll talk a little bit about the art. So um, you have your art on the walls and so what's the medium that you paint in? I mostly paint on acrylic on board. I, I get really, um, I like to get really physical with my art where really, I even use sandpaper I, I do multiple layers. I pull layers off, trying to get a lot of texture. And so it works best um, on board. If canvas, I do once in a while, but it's not as strong as a board. So that's what I mostly do. Right, so I've seen Jeff's work, obviously I'm here, and it's really cool. It's very visceral. Um, I like the layers, I like the color, I like the, uh, the content. Um, yeah, and uh, um, so you know, where do you draw your inspiration from? Well, you know, I've been riding motorcycles for a long time and I like I like motorcycles and things that kind of just have a soul and get me with you know I have a Royal Enfield and that has a lot of soul because you know it doesn't doesn't go very far without having to work on it that's kind of the definition of a soul on it I also have an old Indian and it's just those kind of bikes and trying to bring texture and bringing some of those pieces or some part of it my art as you can see there it doesn't it's not realism there might be a, a focal point of it that has a lot more detail um, a lot more contrast and bring out, but it's, I try to pick something that moves me about the motorcycle. So have you had any formal background in art? Yeah, in college I had a few art classes, but like everyone else, I had to go find a, you know, I was told I had to get a real job, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, because you're not the classic, you know, I studied art at, you know, in Boston here, and I went to Germany and studied there, and I've been a lifelong artist. I mean, I looked at your background and there's a whole lot there. You're a professor, you're an aid worker, you're all sorts of stuff. So why don't you talk about the journey from you know, maybe you as a, not that you're old now, but as a young man and how it evolved into you being here at the One Moto Show in Portland. Well, I would do, uh, even after college and some art show and some, some art classes, I would dabble in art. And so sometimes I would be messing around with it for two or three weeks and then you put it away and you don't do it for a few months or so. And in the, several years ago, I just felt I needed to do even more, and I wanted to get more serious about it. And so my, you know, my day job as a geography professor, you know, gave me uh, some time to do it, but uh, not as much as I wanted, but I decided about three years ago that I would find more time, and I would try to get myself a lot better, and I would put a lot more effort into it, paint a lot more, not just the once in a while. And so I ended up getting into a gallery down in Moab, Utah, uh, kind of a co-op gallery and that's really helped a lot oh, too. Cool. I, I have some of my motorcycle art there but a lot of also um, landscape art since being in Moab that's that's a big seller there. 
Yeah, well, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So, um, so talk about how, where, where do you think the crossover happened with motorcycles and art? You said you've been, so how did you get into riding? Maybe we'll start there. I grew up, you know, riding enduros up in the mountains and in the desert. Yep, there you go. High five. Oh, uh, you know, long <laughs> before the, uh, the big four-wheeler craze. So we used to go riding with my, my father. We had an old Yamaha DT175. Another high yep, five. Yeah, and I, I, I wish I had that same bike, but I have another one, exact one, a different one. But we would go riding in the mountains of Utah and down in the deserts. And back then you would see some motorcycles and some things. And now you see, there's not that many motorcycles, but millions, it seems like, of, of ATVs mm. riding around. But back then, that's what we did. And I rode like a Honda Enduro to high school kind of a thing. That's what I got into. So I was mostly Enduros. I didn't really get into uh, street bikes at all until I was older. Mm -hmm. Maybe 15, 20 years ago is all. So. Right. So during the time, so um, you're, you're riding bikes, you're becoming a professor, right? And yep. you're studying geography and whatnot, yep. right? And um, so but when did, when did you realize that you could actually combine your motorcycling love with your passion for art? Well, you know, I'm a part of an organization called an International Journal of Motorcycle Studies. And we have conferences around places. And a lot of my research has been in, in Africa. And I, you know, my wife and I were married in Africa, in Chad. We did a lot of research on Mount Kilimanjaro. And I just noticed in the last 20 years that this, the motorcycles in Africa have just boomed like crazy. I mean, there's been hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, cheap ones imported from, uh, from China and from India. And so some of my research has kind of been involved with that. And so it helps me pretend like my art has something to do with it. Well, it but, sounds almost like anthropology. Yeah, in some ways, and I, you know, with the International Journal of Motorcycle Studies at our annual conference, we have started to have a, a little motorcycle art show kind of in con conjunction with it. And this year, we're going to do it a little bit bigger than we usually have. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, so talk a little bit more about this group of artists that you're curating. Can I call you a curator? Is that accurate? Um, sure. It's it's uh, on an Instagram account called. Um, at motorcycle, uh, no, at moto artists, and I started out by um, on my own personal account. I would post some art that I liked, but then I started to be with my own personal account. I just post my art or art that I personally owned. But there was so much more out there, and uh, I came across, and other uh, people would send me some of the of the artists. So I started to uh, post it on that, and it's got a great response. Artists of going and just um, one, very grateful to have their art out there. And it's amazing, I've only been doing it about the last seven, eight months of that, but probably highlighted over a couple hundred artists. Is that right? Yeah. And do you find, you know, because I, you know, I know that art in America is not really, you know, on par with it is in other parts of the world. You go to Europe, every tiny little house will have some art, you know, some, some hand-painted original art in it. You know, in America, you don't get that. Do you find that a challenge here, or does maybe motorcycling help get art out in the world, you know, so people can sell some art and make a living from doing this? Well, the motorcycle, like here at the One Moto Show, the motorcycle uh, riders, the motorcycle culture has always been really big into art. Now, whether they're going to buy a really expensive original piece or whether, you know, a poster, that's, that's something else. I was down last week down at the, the rescheduled Chopper Fest, mm -hmm. and, you know, and that whole thing is pretty much celebrating uh, the art of, of David Mann, you know, and so that goes back some decades. So I think it's been a very strong culture of art. They, they seem extremely appreciative. Even if they're not going to buy a, an original piece, I probably get more appreciation here than 
uh, and just mm -hmm. just love for the, the art than even maybe at a an art show that's not having to do with motorcycles. Right. Yeah. And, and who are some of the artists um, that you can think of now that people should be checking out? Like if you're into motorcycles and you and you want to put some stuff on your walls, like uh, apart from my own art. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, some I. I I personally try to collect motorcycle art, mm -hmm. and I, whenever I can, I try to get some original art. Uh, one of the ones that I admire, who is a very good artist, her name is Rachel Wolfson Smith. She lives down in um, in Austin, and she does a lot of large pieces where she does with pencil and erasing and kind of building it as almost like medieval scenes of battle, but with motorcycles. And so uh, she's definitely one of them that I've enjoyed. And there's quite a few here that you, uh, you can see, uh, I saw Car Carter Os Asman's work over there. Mm -hmm. There's a guy named uh, Douglas Thompson from Tempest Deficit. He's not here, I don't think, but his art was brought by uh, Mike Allred of uh, Inked Iron. Oh, downstairs. Yeah. His art's in the posters right over this way. Yeah, is he here? I haven't seen him yet. He was here last year, I know. Yeah, I think he's got a booth downstairs. downstairs? Okay. But his art, I think, is right over next, not far from mine, some gotcha. of his posters. Yeah. And all. And, uh, I've seen some new art here. I'm excited to, uh, you know, post it up on my account because, mm -hmm. and I've met a couple artists. Right. And there's a few more I'd like to meet. Uh, so this, it's this a, lot a great of fun. place. Yeah. yeah. So back to back to motorcycling. So you grew up riding enduro and dirt out in the desert and whatnot, and and Moab is just fabulous. So what kind of riding do you do now? Well, I still have you know like the old DT 175. I ride out in the deserts. I also have a Sportster. Um, read, Kind of uh, rebuilding my 1937 Indian Junior Scout, Ooh. right? So hopefully that will be done sometime before I die. <laughs> and uh, so I have that. So I have a lot of enduros, dirt bikes, but also the street bikes. I have a Royal Enfield Bullet, which is one of my big loves. Mm -hmm. But so um, you know, talking about how much art there is here, and I, I mean, my God, we're looking at quilts. There's actually quilts on the wall over here, where like the ladies' sewing club got together and made a bull taco quilt. And I don't know what the hell else is over Ducati quilt, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. What opportunities opportunities do you see as an artist in the motorcycle community? Well, I've never seen those quilts before either. Right. And there's a lot oh, here. Oh my God. The one thing about the One Moto Show is it's very friendly towards motorcycle artists. Uh, they they reach out to motorcycle artists. They provide a lot of space. They're not charging the motorcycle artists, you know, the the larger fees that vendors would have to pay. Some like motorcycle shows might do that. It's very difficult for a for artist to, to be involved because you, know, you can't pay what, say, large motorcycle companies are paying to be part of a thing. But the One Moto is not like that. They provide uh, all this amazing wall space. Uh, not only do they give the wall space, but you've got a, a big amount of space. I was able to hang you know several really big pieces over there. And you just sit over here with the quilts. I'm not sure it was the ladies' quilting club I, who did it. It was. I can't. It was the Harley Riders uh, group of America, I think. Is that? No. They did a bull taco. The hog. The hog group did it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is a one reason why I wanted to come here. Is it's a very friendly one, like like that. Very friendly for artists. And you know, they also have uh, the the prints and things. They have a little booth over there that's set up, and they're running it. So it allows the artists also to be involved and get out. Sometimes you're kind of stuck right next to your art, you know, trying to hawk it. Right. People are going by. But uh, so I, I love this show with that. We know there's little things that um, kind of illustrate, I think, your point about how they, one moto show, you know, and Tor and his crew, how they value the artists. I'm looking at the work on the wall. 
And they've actually, and the big thing about art is light, right? Yes. And we're in an old foundry building. If you've not been to the One Moto Show, it's a big ass, old concrete building. There's windows on, I think, one or two sides. Other than that, it's fairly dark. But just the fact that they've installed lighting to highlight the artist's work shows the level of detail that they're giving, I think, the artists here at The One. Yes, yeah, when I came on Thursday to hang my art, they didn't have very much of that here. So it made me a little bit nervous about where to choose. Right. Because even though you have these great windows here, that doesn't help at night. Right. And I've been at a motorcycle uh, show like this in another city where my art was hung in a place where you had to have a flashlight to, to see it. And that's yeah. not good for art. No. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, you can't. Nobody saw it. So, but here, yeah, they've got some wonderful lights right over it. And so I think they do a great job like that. I agree. And it's a very diverse group, too. So, um, we keep talking about art in America. So who are your clients? I mean, who buys art in America? Motorcycle art, I'll say. Like, who are you selling art to, or who do you try to market to? Well, um, a couple of different things. I sell usually out of the gallery that I have, part of down in Moab, Utah. Even though we sell a lot of landscape things, I've sold several uh, motorcycle originals out of there. Mm -hmm. So that's just somebody that comes by, and you know, random person who loves motorcycle art and buys it. But a lot of what I've sold is to guys who you know who usually buy a, an original piece. And some of the stuff I have, like old Indians, old motors, old um, Harley Davidsons, old Excelsiors that I paint. Um, some of the ones have been guys who own some of that. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's some of my biggest uh, people who have bought some more expensive older ones are guys who own some uh, old Excelsior. You mm -hmm. know, kind of well, back. when I saw your art, I was kind of thinking the same thing. A lot of V twins, there's the old Indians and yeah. things like that. And I could see like people having an emotional attachment to that yeah right um, so I know you do the ride the enduro stuff have, do you get around the country much do you ride around the world do you do some road trips well I'm, I'm in Africa all the time I, I so I, let, me, let me stop you there okay. that goes way back because I noted you were like an aid worker way back in the beginning in, in Rwanda and Uganda I want to say yeah well uh, initially I married my wife uh, she was in the Peace Corps in Chad so she went to Chad, and a couple months later, I flew over, and we were married, and we lived in Chad. And, gotcha. And, okay. And we actually had a—I worked for a Catholic mission there, building a health center. And the nun who ran it, she bought me a, a, a Peugeot moped. We're talking about the old mopeds, the ones that you actually had to pedal. But if you were super, super strong, you could probably pedal for like a mile before you'd faint. <laughs> and and all. And I would drive around to the uh, health clinics in that. It had really bad. Uh, fuel as far as the cleanliness, I had to take the spark plug out about every 30 miles, scrub it with my wire brush, and then put it back in. Wow. And so, you know, I do, that's where we started in Africa. Um, during the Rwanda crisis in 1994, I was kind of recruited to take some aid stuff into Rwanda. So I went into Rwanda in the, the late summer of 94. Wow. With that. That's heavy. And then, yeah. And then since then, I've done a lot of research on the lower slopes of Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. Where uh, with the local people who kind of interact with the, the park. Part of what I did there was I had a Honda 110 trail bike and uh, would kind of map out some of the villages and some of the plains as part of our research. So, and then nowadays, uh, in the last bunch of years, the motorcycle taxis of, of like inexpensive motorcycles out of China and India has gone from a few to every corner along some of the cities in northern uh, Tanzania and into Kenya. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. Hmm. And so uh, those guys, I've gotten to know some of them where I don't really want to get on the back with them. 
Right. So uh, now that I know them, they'll just, I'll just rent their motorcycle. Yeah. And I'll yeah. take the motorcycle and be gone for a day or, or whatever. Oh, that's cool. So it's funny. We have people that travel the world and each neck of the woods seems to have its own certain little motorcycle for that area. What's the bike of choice in, your, in that part of Africa? I mean, what, what's the go-to motorcycle? Well, coming out of um, India, you know, the Baja Corporation. Bajaj. Yeah. Bajaj. Bajaj. Well, yeah, they have a lot, and they have one there, one that's called the Boxer, mm -hmm. and that's a lot. And you see that quite a bit in some places, but then there's so many um, made in, in China, and they have yeah. big factories with so many different brands that you can see the same one, but it'll be badged really different. But that yeah. one you see a lot. There's not really a, a motorcycle culture there of people buying more expensive motorcycles that they're customizing. Yeah. These are these are working motorcycles. No, I was going to say, yeah. typically in those places, they're 125s, they're 150s, they're yeah. very reliable, the parts are plentiful. You know, they typically be smaller, simpler bikes. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm curious about because, you know, yeah, in America, yeah, we people love the GSAs and all these big complicated motorcycles. But you go to most of the world and they're simple. Yeah. They're part, you can find parts. I mean, yeah, and a lot of the, it's mostly young men who are riding them for these motorcycle taxis. And, you know, a, a new one of the ones coming out of China will be, you know, brand new, seven, eight hundred dollars The Boxer from India is maybe close to a thousand dollars new. And they'll usually have like a, 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 some kind of a business person who's a backer for them, who will buy the motorcycle and then they have to pay it off over like a year or two. Okay. And, okay. you know, before it's theirs. Right. And, you know, getting 20 cents here and 30 cents there of taking people on little short trips. We're laughing, I'm laughing at this right now. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna ask you this question. He's a painter, okay. That's true, okay, I didn't make that. We can edit all this stuff out, that's yeah. what I'm just gonna talk. We're talking about stuff we shouldn't be talking about? Yeah. So, I got, oh. I, okay. So I'm gonna put my smoking jacket on now. All right. And recline in my leather chair. What is your motorcycle muse? Motorcycle muse. In other words, as an artist, you might have a muse that is your inspiration to paint. Do you have a motorcycle that acts as a muse to inspire you? One particular motorcycle. Like, yeah, Nelson Orr. Well, you know, so you can see from a lot of my art over there, uh, you know, my Instagram and my website's called Iron Cylinder. So it's some of those older um, motors, some of those older hardtail frames. Uh, the name also came up with quite a lot of the iron barrel motorcycle um, engines for like the Royal Enfield, their pre unit ones. That's one I have, or I have the old Indian. So it's those kind of things that just have certain lines to them and all. You know, hardtail lines, in my opinion, are really hard to beat. When you're painting, painting a hardtail, the flow of it is it just so goes much. Down, when you, right? when you get, that swing arm's a little bit less. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe I can become a better artist. I can right. find my muse in the swing arm, but I don't. <laughs> all right. But, but all right. So as we're wrapping things up here, there's one uh, question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast, and it, we get a very diverse group of answers but considering you've been riding bikes your whole life basically um, and the question is what is your up the butt bike in other words what bike out there would you be willing to take it up the butt for that it's that cool like that is I would do whatever it takes 
for that motorcycle. What it takes for that motorcycle. Well, I know there's a there's a collector who uh, has bought some of my paintings, and he collects a lot of old motorcycles. And one of the paintings that he bought was a painting that I painted of his old Harley strap tank. That strap tank, he's got it in his kind of shop and everywhere. And that's one. I mean, there's probably could probably come up with several. But that old strap tank motorcycle, you know, it was hard enough just to get rid of the to sell him the painting. I liked it so much. You know, and he even has a, a restaurant called the Strap Tank motorcycle restaurant. And where is this at? It's in uh, Springville, Utah. Yeah, so uh, that, that's one that comes to mind a lot. That's that old strap tank motorcycle. Cool. Right on. Hey, well, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to visit with us. Um, fascinating background. I wish we had more time to chat with you, but we love your art. We may be going home with some of it. Um, and hopefully we'll see you again in the future. All right. And can you remind us again, how do we find you? How do we buy your art? A couple of places. I, my Instagram is Iron Cylinder, at Iron Cylinder. And then my website is ironcylinder.com. So you heard it here at some point, ironcylinder.com, and check him out on Instagram. He's a chill dude with a great history in the background. The art is phenomenal, so check it out. experience for Motorcycles and Misfits at the One Motor Show. Awesome. And you are? Hi, my name is Michaela. Um, I'm with CC Motor Coffee from Reno. Oh, so, sick. Yeah, so we're up here supporting them and running the coffee shop, and I just run around and take photos. Awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. Nice. And then, do you ride? I do ride. I'm only, I've only been riding for about a year. Okay, cool. Um, what I, do you ride? I ride a Bonneville yeah. T100. Triumph. I have a Triumph, too. Yes. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm stuck with that bike. I'll never be able to convert to anything else. Oh, I love it. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's like better than a vibrator sometimes. You know? it, it is. It's like it's a big mechanical force. It's a large mechanical vibrator with horsepower. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay, so what should we do here? Like, what should we not miss when you're at the One Moto? Uh, what you should not miss at the One Moto. In my opinion, my favorite thing about the One Moto show is experiencing all of the female riders. There's like this huge influx of a vagina into motorcycle culture, which I absolutely love. Um, it's very empowering, gathering with other women, discussing all of the things that the boys are discussing, and kind of trying to just like tap into that industry. Even in like motorcycle coffee, it's mostly men, um, which is very strange. And now there's just these women everywhere who are aggressively getting into it and making it. No, it's like Swoon City. I love it's amazing. Um, so I love supporting that aspect of it. Just having so many women coming in and taking over. And, Good on you. Yeah, I love it. That's why I'm here for the ladies. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why else? <laughs> okay, so, um, shit. Reno? Reno. Travel? What's your favorite ride in Nevada? Um, my favorite ride in Nevada, well, unfortunately it's actually not in Nevada. It's the 49 going into California. So, like, oh, that's a sick. It's such a beautiful ride. They just repaved most of that road. So from like Grass Valley to Sierraville, it's just exquisite. It's so good. They banked all the roads so that they're safe. It's almost like they did it for riders. It's great. It's really good. 
right? That's like yeah. two thumbs up and a half. Two thumbs up. As far as Nevada, uh, I love the Virginia City ride. I will go from Reno to Virginia City doing 45 minutes, bust up there, eat pizza, come back. You go. That's a great ride. Yeah, Reno to, <laughs> Reno to Virginia City. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. This is awesome. Um, and then I will, I'm going to send you photos because they're really great. Okay. So I'll find So you. motorcyclesandmisfits.com. Yeah, I've totally heard about it. Or them. Facebook, you can find us. We do a recycle garage, which is like oh, a co-op awesome. garage. Rad. It is rad. Hey there, it's uh, Naked Jim, still here at the One Moto Show, and I'm here with Joy, part of the Fox Racing Team, and it's really cool. It's, it just goes, you know, we talk about all the different diversity here, from the bikes to the people to the vendors, um, and Fox is really bringing a lot of cool stuff to the show this year. And Joy's going to tell us a little bit about, because they've got some really exciting collaborations going on, um, some cross-pollination happening. So Joy, what all is going on with Fox Racing this year? Well, we're excited to be here again for one. Um, we came last year and decided to do a small um, limited run. It actually wasn't sold on our website, but it was basically only to be sold here with CC. And um, it was just lifestyle apparel. That went over so well with the media and on social media that people were blowing us up saying like, how can we get this? Are you going to make gear? What are you going to do next? We kind of let it die there and let people wonder and question Perfect. it. Totally. And then um, within the year, Tor and uh, our head designers at Fox Racing started working on a collaboration. And so we expanded that into moto gear from jerseys and pants to a full lifestyle line, which is t-shirts, long sleeves, jackets, a women's line. So there's actually quite a bit of stuff that we have this year. And our one of our main athletes, Ken Roxon, yeah, um, who is... You just joined you, up with yeah, you guys? If you don't know Ken Roxon, um, you <laughs> you're going to know him now. But the exciting thing was that he actually debuted our collaboration with CC at Oakland Supercross last weekend. Right, up in our neck of the woods. Yes, and so that was really exciting for people and that went over extremely well. So well, and I thought the shirt looked awesome. It, it stood amazing. out, it looked great. Yeah. I mean, it, was, it really turned heads, I thought. It really did and the feedback has been really positive and even Ken was excited to wear it. So um, we actually launched it and it's available as of yesterday online and at CC. So here we are again, and it's going really well. Yeah, it's cool. I remember last year when we were here, we were talking with Tor uh, in the in his trailer, yeah. and he had the racing suit out, the leather racing yeah. leathers, and it was white with the black fox head yep. upside down and the CCI. Yeah, the lab, the like, lab. Yep. It was cool, right? That's awesome. So you see this collaboration maybe growing and continuing? Uh, it's hard to say. I don't want to speak too soon, right. um, but as of right now, scoop, exactly. You know. <laughs> <laughs> as of right now, I mean, it's been really positive, and we're selling. Quite Quite a bit of it so you never know yeah well I know every time I come by here at the show everybody's over here checking out the gear so yeah, get it while you can because exactly. I missed out last year that's true I was gonna get my hat last year and I'm like I'll be back it was sold out and I just had to wonder all year long oh man well we're here till tomorrow so and we're here all night tonight and where else can you find the stuff like if you're if you want to go check it out So if you guys do want to buy it and you're not at the show I would suggest going to foxracing.com forward slash US or ccmotorcycles.com. You can find it online there as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
So, you know, aside from what's going on at the one show, what other kind of stuff is Fox racing up to these well, days? Or Supercross season is in full swing right now. So actually there's a race going on in San Diego. So we're actually hoping one of our guys kind of is on the podium tonight, maybe right Ken. That cool. So that is in full swing and we've got other collaborations going on, um, but I can't speak to those. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll keep people wondering. Yeah. So now let me ask you, do you ride motorcycles? I do. You I grew do. up riding um, dirt bikes. I don't ride street bikes, but I grew up uh, riding dirt bikes since I was a kid, yeah. yeah. First time I ever got on a uh, motorcycle was actually a 1982 Honda ATC. Three-wheelers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're sketchy. Survived. I survived, and my dad let us ride them all the time, and oh. I, I turned out just fine, so. That's a good dad. <laughs> and then uh, what do you have in the garage now? Uh, right now, I just have a CRF 125. Yeah. Perfect. I keep it small. It's simple. Heck yeah. The next thing we're doing is actually uh, Babes in the Dirt, yeah. which is in Gorman, California, and we'll be uh, one of the main sponsors with the girls from Babes Ride Out. So if any of you ladies out there that ride dirt bikes, Come out, make sure that you look for us at the booth. We're gonna have a lot of free giveaways. We're doing a boot, helmet, and roost deflector demo, so come on by. I think that's the end of April. Yeah, it'll yeah. be April 28th through the 30th, I believe, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and Gordy, if you haven't been down the Gorman that way, what, Hungry Valley they call yes, it? Yeah, absolutely gorgeous, miles and miles of great riding. It's a blast, we've sponsored it for the last three years, and I think it's just amazing what Ashmore and Anya have done. And I think you're going to see some some recycle ladies representing yeah, this year. I think so, so yeah. Right on. Hey, Joy. Well, thanks so much for taking the time yeah, to meet with us. Absolute, absolute treat. Hey, we love what you guys are doing. Thank We're you. stoked to follow it, and good luck with the racing season. Appreciate it. And I probably won't, but some people will see you at Babes yeah. this year. So. But hey, it's good to see you again. Good to see you as well. <laughs> bye, you guys. All right, bye. All right, continuing the walk here. This place wraps around huge building with many different rooms and two floors the bikes again all sorts of amazing customs I'm looking at a BMW cafe racer it's an old uh, airhead and then right next to it this looks like a CB 554 cafe racer kind of stuff you see in magazines and on the street but then you'll find something a little unconventional like an MB5 um, here's a couple flat track race bikes. Really, really creative stuff happening here. I'm going to keep walking around, check it out. All right, so make a gym back here again at the One Moto Show. That always gets everyone's attention when I start that way. It's another story for another time. But back here at the One Moto Show with Killian of Killman Custom Builds Performance Motorcycle Machine Shop and everything. Killman Customs Independent Build House. That's the one. <laughs> Killman Customs Independent Build House. Sweet. Right? So we're here with Killian and um, so do a little get to know and some background and uh, so Killian, tell us where you're from and what you're up to. Oh Christ, where I'm from. Originally I'm a hillbilly from uh, the northern BC mountains up in Terrace. Been working out of Victoria, BC for probably the last 10 years or so. We do uh, different shows all across Canada. This is our first time south of the border, and it's amazing. Loving it here. We build custom vintage motorcycles, uh, keep them affordable, uh, having some success, winning some trophies, and we do all kinds of gear. We like to promote a nice, active, relaxed lifestyle. Right. We well, can always tell the Canadians here in the states because they're wearing tank tops in February. Yeah. I've noticed. But Killian, one of the cool things we were checking out um, um, about what you do is your work seems to go across every make and motorcycle, not just Harley even though I think you have that bit of a background, 
but you seems like you don't care. Motorcycles, motorcycle, and bring them on, huh? Suck, squeeze, bang, blow. It's the same, you know. Doesn't matter the maker. Uh, I'm not prejudiced. I usually cut off about 85, although our latest build was a 93, generally because I, I don't want to work on electronic fuel injection. Our bread and butter is, uh, you know, commuters, millennials, and uh, you know, guys about our age. We're going, holy shit, you know. I, I had one of those when I was 18. I want it again. So it doesn't really matter what it is, but I can teach a customer to pull over and wrap a screwdriver handle on a float bowl, you know, and free up a stuck valve. What I can't do is teach them how to reprogram or flash a CDI drive. Right, totally. So your focus is on vintage bikes. Yep. Okay, and what got you into that? Like, how did you end up, you know, with a custom build shop uh, with, with vintage motorcycles? It was funny. I mean, my background is in tax accounting. It's, you know, I used to do accounting for Harley. And uh, I bought a real piece of shit little, uh, the KZ 440 we were talking about at the hotel earlier. Mm -hmm. I used to manage a bar way back in the, uh, the dawn of time when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And one of my bartenders used to ride this piece of shit to work every day. So one day you wanted to sell it, you wanted 500 bucks Canadian, so that's probably like 20 pesos. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well fuck, it's got a title, it runs, here's your five bills, and I picked it up. Started doing a little bit more uh, research on it, wrenching on it, realized I had something pretty decent. Little twin, belt drive, and you know, it, it's not a Harley, but that fucker will go forever, long mm -hmm. after I'm in the ground. And it just kind of went from there. Uh, I started sourcing parts for it, and then I realized folks didn't know how to do that. So guys started coming to me trying to get parts and gear and I started doing that. Next thing you know, it was successful enough. I was able to walk away from doing the tax accounting. Mm -hmm. And I just carried on. I haven't stopped since. You know, it turned out uh, got a little bit of a creative flair and it's just been build after build. Right on. So how'd you get into bikes originally? It was, well, I mean, I had a dirt bike as a kid. Who didn't, right? Right. But uh, honestly, I hadn't ridden one in probably 20 years. And then You've been I, working for Harley? Well, no, that was only three, four years oh, ago. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. At the time where I picked up the bartender special, I probably hadn't ridden in, I don't know, maybe 15 years. But uh, yeah, just picked it up and realized how much I loved it again. And honestly, the worst day wrenching is better than the best day accounting. Yeah, that I can imagine. Yeah. All right, so then how did you uh, make the decision? Like, like, how do you start your own business like that? I mean, that's a pretty big leap. Honestly, it wasn't. It just kind of grew. Uh, like I said, I started doing builds, started doing sourcing, mm -hmm. and uh, then threw up a website. Next thing you know, I'm getting all this traffic from the States. And uh, it just came to a tipping point where either it was going to be one or the other. I could keep accounting and, you know, probably get a bottle of JB and a revolver and run a bath at some point. Or I could go doing what I love, and uh, it's just expanded. Mm -hmm. I'm actually doing some lowbrow art lessons through a guy called Jasper Braun. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Jasper Braun out of Denmark. Uh, you might have seen it, he does the, uh, the one-eyed Beardo. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's the artist, so uh, I'm, I'm expanding. I'll be doing some additional art classes probably down in Anaheim uh, in April as well. You know, so the wrenching is good. I've been doing a lot of sculpting techniques with metal, using acid washes to bring out certain colors. Okay. And uh, now I'm going to expand on the pinstripe I've been doing for a few years. It just goes, man. It's organic. I was going to say, you've got all sorts of irons in the fire, so can you give us just a quick rundown of everything that, that, you, that you got going currently? Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, all right, well, gear, tools, uh, sourcing parts, doing custom builds. We do minor repairs, but honestly, we're more about the customizations. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's that's what brings the people in. That's what gets us in the magazine. So that's what we got to focus on. But yeah, I mean, we make our own gear. Like the, the, uh, oh, your patch is cool. I love the logo, the patch. It's dope, man. That actually came from uh, the old Super B logo. Yeah. That's what I wanted. The tiger. Yeah. Uh, I ran a contest about three years back. I wanted a professional design for a logo. So I started getting, well, fuck, designs from artists down in California, tattoo guys, 
And uh, the kid who did this, he was a fine art student at a university up yeah. in Victoria. He's pointing to a tattoo just for those. Oh, you sorry. Know, yeah. over well, part of the contest was I would take my favorite uh, design out of the competition and I'd have it tattooed. Uh. So the kid won. We signed an IP contract with him. It was his first piece of professional art. And I got the tattoo done up in uh, Port Alberni. I actually had a show. I traded a hoodie for it. <laughs> Gave the artist a hoodie, went inside, he inked me up. And uh, then I had dinner at the kid who designed the logo's house. A few years later, the design's a little crooked. You know, well, not crooked, but the shape is odd, right? Well, you're working out. You're flexing, I can tell. <laughs> I do a little kickboxing, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so we needed something that would be a little more graphics friendly. So I put a circle on it, and then I... Uh, you know, found an old trucker font that you'll keep on trucking. Oh, it looks like you keep on trucking, totally. Yeah, and then I tried to uh, do the basic lines from the old Super B logo from the 60s, right? Mopar? Yeah. And so far it's great, you know? Guys, they seem to recognize it, they get the influence. And oh, it looks great. And yeah. it pops too, the colors are good and everything. That was the idea. So back to the building, because that seems yeah. to be where your passion is. Are there bikes that like are in your wheelhouse? Like when you see one of these roll up, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get in on this, or not so much? Oh, there, there is, but honestly, it, it pretty much changed every time somebody brings something in the shop. The last one we put out, the 93, was just a piece of shit shadow. Uh, but the girl, you know, she had a great story. She got kind of fucked over by her ex. 93 shadow, what are you going to do with that, right? So I took it, did a little work on it, turned it into a bobber, cleaned up the back end. Out? That's kind of your option, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, I mean, for the most part, it's pretty much stock. We just got rid of that massive 60-pound uh, subframe for the tail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, threw a nice little fender on it. Uh, everything's dot, break down to uh, the custom lights and the uh, the exhaust. So, you know, she's got no worries getting pulled over. Thing looks badass. Right. She's the cool kid now. And she's stoked on it, right? Oh, she loves it. She actually comes out to shows with us now. Isn't it funny, though, that, that you can take a bike like that that no one really gets excited about. Yeah. You can, you can put your magic on it, and all of a sudden, and it's all about making the customer happy. If she yeah. leaves and she's stoked to ride this thing down the road, that's success, right? Absolutely. And, you know, she fell in love with it. Now she loves the uh, the life on the road. She comes out and, honestly, she just sits there and tells people how much she loves it, what a good time she's having. She goes off and, you know, has a couple of PBRs. And, right. Yeah. I mean, it's been a fantastic deal for her, for us. We love it. Have, now, on the, on the flip side, have you ever had a build come in that you, you kind of take in and it's just been a nightmare from the beginning and you're like, I will never touch one of those bikes again? Yeah, all of them. All of them. <laughs> you know, you're asking what's in my wheelhouse and, honestly, it's pieces of shit. Uh, well, the older bikes, every every bolt is stuck, every nut's frozen, every hanger pin doesn't want to move, right? I just stripped down a 72 uh, CB750 a few months ago. By the time I got done, there were literally two stock bolts on the whole machine. Everything else was drywall screws and squirrel nests and right. spiders carrying bricks. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Any words of wisdom out there? You know, as a guy that, that takes these old... like I so. My daughter has a, an Ascot 500, it's an 83, not that old. Yeah. And I was putting new tires on it and brakes, you know, brakes, that'd be half an hour, I'll be done. Four hours later, you know, stuck bolt after stuck bolt after stuck oh. bolt, you know? What are the tricks of the trade when you're working on these old bikes? Stuck bolts. Uh, stuck bolts, lots of lube, uh, heat, pressure, get yourself a decent impact driver. If you strip it, you strip it. Don't be afraid to drill it out and use an easy out a little bit. But uh, propane torches, one of your best friends. Good to know. Yeah. And then, so, um, is it just you in the shop, or, or is this just, you're the driving, uh, you know, force behind this thing? It's me. I get a little help out on the road. Mm -hmm. uh, my fiance Candace, she's a marine biologist, so she's busy in her own right. Sure. You know, um, but yeah, you know, I got some friends that come out, they help me man the booth and stuff. In the shop, it's pretty much just me, unless I need someone to uh, hold something steady while I kick a breaker bar. <laughs> 
which is a lot because you've got the web page you got going, you got a blog that you started that yeah. seems really cool, yeah. um, and you seem excited about it. So how'd the blog come about? Uh, basically, I'm full of shit and I can't stop talking. <laughs> yeah, we have a podcast like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of those, you know, like, I'm not the most uh, up-to-date technology guy with the smartphones and the rest of it, but you need that online presence. Uh, so I just started writing, and uh, it just kept going. Right. Oh, it's entertaining. I think the website's well done. And, Thank you. And, and for people, what, what was the website again that people want to find it? Killmancustoms.com. Killmancustoms.com. Yeah. So where do you think this might be heading in the future? Do you have, um, or is it just going to be an organic thing as stuff comes along, you run with it, or...? Well, I mean, this year we're doing a lot of shows down here in the States. Uh, probably doing Speed Week down in Bonneville. Okay. Uh, yeah, Christ. What, are, I mean, what other shows might we see at? Chopper Fest, Mama Tried, Born Free. I think I just missed Mama Tried. Okay. Uh, the whole deal is getting the paperwork, getting across the border, because I'm a Canadian builder. Yeah. It's got to dot the I's and cross the T's, and away we go. And uh, probably the year after... We'll just don't have to... any babies while you're here. No. I've been fixed for years, brother. I ain't a problem. <laughs> Uh, probably the year after, we'll be doing a little bit over in Europe. Probably hit up uh, the TT on the Isle of Man. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go down to Beeritz to uh, their version of Wheels and Waves. I don't know if you know, they just started one down to California. I know last Wheels year. and Waves, yeah, yeah, but okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll just uh, keep going abroad. I mean, through the art side of things, you know, you've got these online buddies. So now I've got guys yeah. inviting me to Germany, Denmark, South Africa, Australia. You got a place to crash, and you go in there and you soak in the culture. Probably do Moon Eyes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool, uh, honestly, the, the whole thing is just a ticket to have fun. Yeah, well, that's the whole point of having a good time, right? Yeah. Motorcycles are great for that. Yeah. So you're coming down here from Canada, you got a lot of action in the States. Um, yeah. So what's the scene like up, up in Canada where you're from? What What's the motorcycle scene like? Well, I'm a firm believer that the more of us there are doing the custom work, some of the lowbrow stuff, uh, doing the vintage stuff, we, we all contribute to the scene. Competition is a healthy thing. It makes you stronger, it makes you grow. You know, if you're not just sitting back on your ass, you've got to keep hustling, and it's just an improvement for everybody. At the time, Canada's generally two to three years behind the States on trends. The States is about two to three behind Europe and Asia. Uh, so I, I keep my eyes focused overseas, and then I, I develop my products accordingly. Honestly, right now, the, uh, the scene in Victoria, there's a, a lot of guys that are... Uh, we don't have a big population base. Let's just say there's, there's not a massive skill pool to draw from. We do have a couple of really decent quality shops up there, um, but they, they tend to get sidelined into a lot of uh, the newer Harley stuff. You know? So it, it's kind of stuff to stay true to what you're trying to put out there before the public. Right, okay. Yeah. So a uh, couple more questions while we got you is, so what's in your garage currently? What are you writing? Oh Christ, what am I not? Uh, we're turning that 72 CV with the, uh, the two stock bolts. We're putting that into a bit of a dirt tracker. Uh, and this is going to be for you? Well, you know, I mean, everything has a price, right? All right, okay. Yeah, I'm in love with it right now, but somebody walks up waving a black Amex, and, you know, I might be swayed. Right. Uh, so there's that. I just picked up an 81 uh, Goldwing. It's one of the old uh, 1100s. It is a naked bike, but they, they actually pulled the last year 1200 engine out of it, well, out and put it into this frame. So, uh, you know, hopefully the DMV isn't listening, but it's registered as an 1100. It's got the extra 100 cc's. Probably going to turn that into a little bit of uh, just a little bit of a muscle cruiser. Cool. Keep it naked, but it's heavy enough to haul my fat ass around and uh, <laughs> All right. get me down to speed week. So, so, so bringing this thing to a close. There's so many motorcycles here; it's a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Um, anything really catch your eye or stand out or give you some inspiration that you've seen at the show? Christ, so so much. Uh, my fiance Candice was just asking what my favorite bike here was, and the, the answer changes every time I turn my head. 
Uh, in all honesty, there's a neglected little chopper in the far back there. And it's probably got a uh, seven foot front fork on it. And, yeah, yeah, you know the one I'm talking yeah, yeah, about, right? Saw, yeah. It's collecting cobwebs, but it's got those classic old chopper lines. Yeah. Uh, you know, cosmetically it's not the best, but it, it's got the heart there. And a mm -hmm. little bit of metal flake, and uh, away you go. Yeah, right? Yeah. I agree. We, we actually stopped at that one this morning when we were walking that direction. Yeah. So. Well, cool. Hey, well, thanks a lot, Killian, for taking the time to meet with us. It's really been a treat. You're a good storyteller, and good luck with the good luck with the shot, man. Keep us posted. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us out, and uh, let's do a shot. Right on. All right. Cheers. Sir Hooligan bike. Hey there, so this is Naked Jim here back at the One Moto Show in Portland and we just get continued to be blown away by the diversity of bikes and builders and people and everything. So out of the blue we come across a guy and that's what's great about this place, uh, we known as Cliff Danger. Um, and we, we came across his bike, which is, uh, well I'll let, I'll let Cliff decide it. But, um, well Cliff, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of a background on, on what you're up to and... Well, Lucy's in 1975 Minsk that I purchased in Ho Chi Minh City, or Saigon, in Vietnam. Rode around Vietnam and Cambodia. So let's just back up there. So this yeah. is a motorcycle built in Belarus. Belarus, correct. That you found in Vietnam. Yeah, makes well, they're in all communist countries. Gotcha, so. that makes sense, okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I went, to, uh, I went to Vietnam and you had a choice of either a scooter or a Minsk, and unfortunately, Minsk are getting pretty rare in Vietnam, as well as parts are. Right. And so. And you're talking a Honda scooter. Could have been no, a Honda. Well, they're, no, they're Chinese knockoffs. Got it. Okay. Pretty much. And uh, you know, small wheels and, and such, and and I wasn't really interested in riding a scooter, and and uh, I'm a very good mechanic, so I, I didn't mind a challenge. And uh, unfortunately, at times, Lucy was quite the challenge. But uh, I've learned through time and patience that when she breaks down it leads to some good stories and meeting meeting wonderful people all over the world so. that's really true I mean because because when you take a motorcycle trip and everything works and nothing happens there's really no stories to tell no but I imagine some good stories come out of a uh, riding Lucy across Vietnam yeah I uh, yeah no it, it, it was a great experience uh, you know met met lots of good people uh, one of my first breakdowns was in this little town uh, about 50 miles outside of Delac called Guillebach. And I ended up staying in that little town for three days sleeping in a feed store uh, while the guy that owned the feed store worked on Lucy getting parts and all that sort of stuff. 
but I was sort of like the, the town attraction because here's this white guy right. sitting outside the feed store all right. day. And you're and, a tall guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and finally three uh, teenagers came over and tried to sort of interact with me and such. And, and so, you know, it was, it was a good experience. I, uh, my, my Vietnamese was pretty much limited to Sin Loi, which is, uh, I'm sorry, because good it, thing seemed, to know. it seemed like I had to say that quite a bit, whether it be going into a hotel lobby and, and dripping everywhere, you know, from, from being wet from the road or, mm. or whatever. But, right. you know, I, I, it was a, a pretty special time there right. in Vietnam. Now, now I know that motorcycling is a passion of yours, but also photography, right? Yeah, I used and you to have be a commercial project photographer. that goes on. Is, the, is it the, the Bunny Tooth project? Uh, the Bunny Teeth movement. Yeah, the Bunny Teeth movement. Yeah. yeah. And so what what the Bunny Teeth are is uh, back in 2005 when I lived in Los Angeles, I drove my '62 Chevy to New York to visit some friends, and uh, I had been in a costume shop and I found these little plastic teeth. Uh -huh. So I bought a uh, hundred pair of them for like 89 cents a piece. Right. And so I traveled across the U.S. and I, I handed them out. And at that time, you know, there weren't digital cameras. So I had a Polaroid camera that I'd take pictures and, you know, give the, the people the, uh, the, the positive. And then it was uh, a positive negative Polaroid. So then I'd, I'd clean the, the negative and I'd have a negative and then they'd have the positive. Um, so that, that worked out pretty well. So I've been doing it ever since then. Uh, my big break came though about seven years ago when I found a woman on eBay that was selling 12 bunny teeth for $1.20. And I, I sent her an email and I said, well, how many pair do you have? And she said, oh, a couple thousand. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll buy them all. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm still halfway through my first big box of bunny teeth. And, have given them out all over the world. Is this just a great icebreaker for people when you're hanging out? And to... uh, you know, when I was in Japan, I, I went to Japan on a job one time and I met some, some Japanese people. My friend Minami said, Cliff, you need to just travel the world and hand these out to people because they make, make people smile. And um, that's, that's sort of the idea behind it is, you know, it's, it's not only is an icebreaker, but it just makes people laugh, right? And, yeah. and you know, uh, the world's too serious a place sometimes. So, whatever you can do to make people just a, a little bit happier is is good. You know, it's so nice. That's a refreshing thing to hear. I mean, that's why I have my unicorn rainbow hat on because uh -huh. there's a lot of black leather here today, and I'm yeah. like, you know, it'll be silly. So you started down, and how long ago did, was the first trip to Vietnam when you scored? Uh, it was December of 2011. Okay, and then from Vietnam, uh, went to Cambodia, went across a, a border called Ha Tien which is uh, right in the Mekong Delta in, in southern Vietnam. Um, I got to the border there, and, and uh, unfortunately, the Cambodians and the Vietnamese hate each other as long as, you know, or as well as uh, the Cambodians and the Thais hate each other, and the Cambodians and the Laos uh, hate each other. So there are complications, and I was told that I might have trouble getting across that border, but you know, it would be easier if I tried the border that was closer up to Phnom Penh. Well, I was already down in, in the Mekong Delta, so I figured I'd try this border. So you, you get into the, the checkpoints in, in Cambodia, and they have like five different buildings you have to go through, and the fourth one is, is the customs. And he told me, you can't bring that motorcycle into, into Cambodia. He said, uh, that, that bike belongs to Vietnam. And I'm like, well, no, it's my bike, you know, come on. Yeah. And, uh, so I offered him a bribe, but you know, there was actually on the wall, there was a sign in English that said, we don't accept bribes. 
but you know, I, I figured it didn't hurt. Well, the know? sign's up there for a reason. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I ended up, uh, you, you had to go to the next building to stamp into Cambodia, and then in theory stamp out of Cambodia to go back into Vietnam. Well, I went down there and there was a guy manning the, the gate to let you into Cambodia, and I walked up to him with my passport and showed it to him, and you know, my, my visa stamps and all that sort of stuff. And he raised the gate, so I just went over to Lucy and rode into Cambodia. Awesome. You didn't and have to give him any bunny teeth? No, no bunny teeth no, to grease not, the not, rails? Not, no, nothing okay. at all. I just, I just sort of went in. And, and uh, I'd lived in Los Angeles for a long time, and, and so I, I had this paranoia that I was going to be chased by, you know, like the cops with like a helicopter or something <laughs> like that. So for the first day or so, I was, I was paranoid that they were going to catch me or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I... Uh, I just came to the realization that any time, because I, I was asked several times, where did you get that motorcycle? It's a Vietnamese motorcycle. And I just tell people that I bought it in Phnom Penh. Okay. And, and then, you know, when I eventually did go back to Vietnam, I didn't have a problem getting her back into Vietnam, even though I, I found out later on that the registration card I had was for a different motorcycle. So. Uh, yeah, well, that's right, good karma. But when I was in Cambodia, I w was intending on taking Lucy to, to Thailand, but they wouldn't let her in. So uh, I ended up leaving uh, Lucy in a town called Poi Pet, which is on the border of, of Cambodia and Thailand, where there's all the casinos, because you can, you can gamble in, in Cambodia. Okay. And taking a train into Bangkok, and then up to uh, Chiang Mai, and then uh, took a boat down the, the Mekong Delta, went into to, uh, Laos. Okay. And spent a couple weeks in Laos and then back into Thailand and then into Cambodia and then rode Lucy back to, to Vietnam. So how many languages do you know how to say I'm sorry in now? <laughs> well, Lucy was only with me in, in Vietnam and Cambodia. Well, that was always and, I had to apologize. And, and I really didn't have any problems in Cambodia. So so how would you find the people? You know, I know Eliza travels a lot internationally and I know a lot of people in the States are a little hesitant to go abroad, and uh, how did you find the people in that You know, I've, I've, I've found people all over the world are very friendly. I mean, you're, you're always going to run into assholes, but you're going to run into assholes everywhere, whether it be Portland or, but you know, the majority of people are, are very cool. Yeah. Uh, I did have an interesting experience up in, in uh, a town called Kham Du, which is pretty close to the, the uh, border with Laos, and uh, it's about halfway up the country from Saigon, between Saigon and in Hanoi. Uh, I went up there and, and uh, I was told that there were lots of Minsk parts up there and that's one of the reasons that I went up there was because I feared it doesn't hurt to have some extra parts. Sure. So I, um, I went up there and no one in the, the whole town there were about 15 hotels and no one would rent me a room. Mm. And so I ended up having to go to a mechanic there anyway and spent like nine hours at this mechanic shop while basically 12 Vietnamese people pointed at me and laughed the whole time. So, you know, I, I, like, to tra I like to travel by myself, but every once in a while, you just want somebody there to, to yeah. talk to, you know, yeah, and it, yeah. that, that wasn't happening. So by the time she actually was done, it was dark. And, uh, you know, one of those third world uh, travel things is you don't ride in the dark. Right. And, and Lucy, unfortunately, had a, a very weak headlight anyway. To begin with, yeah. So I ended up uh, going up to the police station and saying, hey, you got a bench outside, can I just sleep on that bench? And they're like, no, you can't, but go, go down to the hotel. And now it had been raining for about 
10 hours at this point, so I was pretty wet. Um, so I ended up going down to the hospital, and I walked in, and I'm shaking and everything, and they think I've got hypothermia, and I, I say, you know, can I spend the night here? I'm freezing, and there's nowhere else for me to stay. Mm -hmm. And um, the doctor's like, yes, yes, you can stay. And you were I'm, looking that, that, that rough, huh? Oh, yeah, and I'm like, oh, fantastic. So I'm just sitting there, just, you know, trying to, to take... Don't tell me you woke up missing a kidney or anything. No, okay. no, 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 well, as, as far as I know, but I can't see the, my back. Maybe there's a scar there. Uh, but um, I ended up staying there for about five minutes, and he comes in and he tells me, you got to leave. My boss says you can't stay here. And at this point, it's it's probably 11 o'clock at night, and it's cold and, yeah. and, and rainy because yeah. it's... It's pretty high up in the hills because they, they logged in this area. That, they used minced with chains on them to pull the, the trees out of the woods. Uh, so I ended up going back to the police station, and there's a new person at the police station, and he's like, no, you can't stay here, but this guy will show you where you can stay. And so he takes me down the road, and, and he points at this, this hotel and keeps going. And I'm, you know, I'd already been in there, and, and I went in there, and the guy, you know, like basically told me to fuck off, get the hell out of here, you mm -hmm. know. And I'm like, oh. he said, "What about some bunny teeth?" No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Son of a bitch!" Right. So I, I'm, you know, I'm like, "Okay, well, what am I going to do? It's cold, you know. I, I knew I'd survive and stuff like that, but you know, it's going to be an uncomfortable night." Yeah. So I actually see the mechanic that had worked on Lucy, and I went up to him and, and he offered me a shot of, of whiskey, which I took. And then I offered him basically $40 to sleep on the, the floor of his shop. And he wouldn't let me do that. And I'm like... So know, what was I'm, the deal? How come, how come people... I'll, I'll yeah, get there, right. okay? So, so eventually the waitress comes up and figures out that I need someplace to, to stay. And she walks across the street and there's this old man standing there, like huddled around this, this open fire. And she comes back and she goes, you can stay over there. And so I, I go over there and it was like $6 a night, and I basically slept in a shed, mm -hmm. but I was dry, Yeah. and, and it, was, it was great. You know, the next morning I got up at like 6 o'clock in the morning, and uh, it was, you know, not, not raining out, but, it, you know, it's daylight. So then I ended up going into Hoiyan, uh, which is on the coast, and got a hotel room, and just walked into the shower with my boots and every, <laughs> everything on just to warm up, and it, it was fantastic. But the, I found out the reason that in Comp Duke that they, they really didn't care for me was it was a tremendous amount of bombing that went on during the Vietnamese War. So they're just not very very happy with, with foreigners, you know, and especially... That'll do it. Especially Americans. And, yeah. you know, I can understand that. Uh, yeah. But I found Vietnamese to be very friendly up in Hanoi. They, you know, the farther you got north, the less they liked Americans. But then when I got up close to the Chinese border, the people up there in a town called Cao Pang were really nice. Oh, so cool. Yeah, I mean, people are human no matter where you go, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, so you're bouncing around Southeast Asia. A couple of things is, is two questions. One is what drew you there originally? And then secondly, you know, what's cooking in the, in the offing for you now? Well, the, the original reason that I went there was to go to Cambodia to go to Angkor Wat, the, the temples out in Siem Reap. But uh, I'd been doing um, research and I found that at the time that it was easy enough in theory to get a motorcycle out of Vietnam into the other countries. But 
that you couldn't get a motorcycle from another country into Vietnam. Very strict there as far as like CCs and all this stuff. Okay. But you know, being a communist country, every once in a while I saw a Ducati or a Harley or something like that. But you know who was riding that? It was a party member. Yeah, people that are connected. Somebody, somebody that was connected. Otherwise, yeah. you couldn't have a motorcycle over, I think it was 175 CCs. Okay. Lucy's 125. Right, okay. So, so my, my next project, uh, I'm, I'm letting Lucy rest. Uh, I rebuilt the engine nine times between Portland to, to Key West, Florida, back to Portland. Wow. So um, I've decided I'm going to let her and myself rest for a while. Well deserved for both. Yeah. Eventually I'd like to take her over to Japan and ride the length of Japan, go up to Hokkaido, Island, and then down to Honshu and all the way down to maybe Okinawa. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm busy building a, a, another bike. Um, a CB750 that I'm going to take down to basically the tip of South America. But uh, I intend on taking about five years to do that, spending, you know, four, six months in each country, really getting to know the countries, taking pictures, and, and so I'm curious, we've run into a lot people. of people going down that direction. I got to ask the CB750, how, how's that the, the bike of choice to, to see, see that part of the world? Uh, well, because unlike, uh, say, like a BMW R you know, 1200 or, or GS 1200, it doesn't have a sensor on everything. So if, you know, a sensor goes out on your kickstand, you're stuck out in the middle of nowhere. No, this thing's, this thing's very basic. It doesn't have any sensors and it's carburetor. I know how to rebuild carburetors. I could probably rebuild the carburetors on the side of the road if right. I need to. That's because it's got but four. If, but if, but if the, the computer goes out on your bike or something like that, you're stuck. And, and you know, to get parts and everything, and with Lucy, it would usually take me about a month to get parts out of Romania, depending on what I needed. <laughs> right. And uh, with the CB750, I can go on to eBay, and I'll find somebody with that part that'll send it to me that same day, and I'll probably get it three days later, yeah, no matter cool where bike. I'm at. And right, it's a yeah. cool bike. I have a couple of them, and, and I love them. I was going to ask you, so, so as we wrap it up, what else do you have in the garage? Uh, well, I've got a, a CB750 that's uh, a complete touring bike got a nice fairing and, and saddlebags on it and everything and then uh, I have a Lucy and then I have a, a Kajiva Grand Canyon okay. uh, that I'm rebuilding after crashing in October and, and I'm gonna sell that oh geez all right uh, uh, broke my thumb and then um, then the, the CB that I'm building up now that'll be my own adventure bike so that's cool man yeah uh, so Cliff, you know, a lot of exciting stuff you're doing and the photography is amazing. We could talk all day about that too, but how do people follow you? Uh, CliffDanger.com, my website. Uh, I've been reworking it lately. I'm starting to get into WordPress a little bit. Okay. I, um, I try and not get on the computer too terribly much, but you know, every once in a while you get to do some things. And I have a, a friend, Lisa, that's been, been developing my website and I'm, you know, trying to figure out some stuff myself. Right on. So cliffdanger.com. Yeah. Well, hey, we'd, it'd be great to keep in touch with you down the road, keep us posted on your adventures, and we can, can keep tabs on you because it sounds like you've got a lot of really cool stuff still still in the future. Well, let's let's hope so, yeah. Thank All you right. very much. Hey, I thanks. Appreciate for, it. Really nice meeting you. Nice great meeting Great bike you. and everything. Thank cool. you.